and good morning, Grace. Uh, we are in week two of our series, Foundations, and we are going to dive right into this because I have a lot of content for us this morning. Um, but if you were here last week, let me recap kind of what we kicked off and why we're doing this, uh, what Ben so mediocrely gave to us last week, you know what I mean? <laughs> in, in fairness, first service he was sitting in here, so I at least could look right at him and say it, but now it's just gossip, so my bad, <laughs> you know? No, kidding, he did an excellent job. But the idea behind this uh, series is that we've launched this vision uh, called Establish. And we've asked the question over the past four weeks now. <laughs> My daughter's back there waving to me from the cry room high. Um, I got me. Now I'm, see, now I'm paying attention to her. Uh, what needs to be established in our lives? Like, What has God done in your life? And, and what maybe is he looking to continue to do? And as we listened to the Lord, we said, well, okay, what foundations of our faith, like, like what beliefs, core beliefs, what pillars, if you will, <laughs> of faith should be so foundational to us that they just come out of us naturally? Like, like if we understand these things that we're going to be talking about over even the next five, six weeks, uh, that actually it could change our faith in a way that we're so much more firm, so much more rooted, so much more solid. So Ben posed the question and kicked us off talking about God's character and I love how he went about it because um, it was his idea to go this direction. He said, God is blank, and then asked us the question, what do you write in that blank? And I don't know about you, but for me, admittedly, I was sitting in the back uh, holding a little baby who's distracting me, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, well, I don't even know that I have like one succinct word. That's hard. That's a hard question. Right, so Ben starts talking about how God is holy, God is love, God is triune, like he's together and he's laying some of these out and it really got me stirring, okay, like how do I live uh, my life in a way that it fills that blank in? Like what do I actually believe about God? And I think one thing I was even reflecting on is that I wonder how many of us would struggle to fill that gap in. We would really struggle to say who we think God is. And, you know, it's so foundational for us to understand that because A.W. Tozer, he quoted him, says the most important thing about a person is what they believe about God. Therefore, how it should be foundational for us, how we fill in that blank. So we continue today looking at things we believe are foundational and important for us because once we get these pillars in the ground, if you will, our building will stand up much more successfully. The building of this life, the building of your faith, the building of your character, the building of your families, the building of anything in life needs to be rooted in who God is and what we believe about him. So this week we're going to be talking about God's creation. God's creation is going to be our foundation. But before we get into it, uh, let's offer this morning to the Lord. If you would, pray with me. Father, I thank you that even the breath that we're breathing right now is of your creation, made for you and made for us. Father, I thank you that you are good you're as good today as you were yesterday, and you will be equally as good tomorrow. I thank you that creation truly can point us to the creator. So I ask simply this morning, as we study your creation, as we look into your word, would you help our hearts be softened to what we would understand about your creation and why it can change things for us? We love you. We trust you. We give this morning in our lives to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people this Sunday morning sang... Amen, come on now. See, I got people in the back bopping. Amen, amen. Where are my falsettos at? 
Is that falsetto? I'm not a singer, obviously. <laughs> it's going to sound like heaven, though. You know that. Stop, Alan, I love you. Don't say amen to that. Save those for later. <laughs> Family should be fun, shouldn't it? It should feel organic. It should feel real. I hope you feel that here at Grace. Oh, see, real. We're all broken, messed up people. So creation, God's creation. Let me just even begin to stir your, your minds, hearts, and souls a little bit. When I say creation, I wonder what comes to our minds. I wonder if some of us default to uh, creation being something hard for us to grasp because we've learned intellectual ideas about creation. Maybe when we think about creation, we default right to God. And we think like, man, God created everything. God's amazing. Maybe we're the outdoorsy type and we go into creation and we see God through what he's made. But, but begin to even in this moment, again, start to fill in the blank almost of what is God's creation to you? What does that mean to you? Uh, what is the importance of creation? And uh, I think what I want to kick this morning off with is uh, many of the topics over the next few weeks are, are deeply theological in nature, meaning like we should study them. They teach us about God. But uh, if you don't feel that Phil is your theological basis for this, I wanted to give you a video from a uh, deeply rich theologian about creation. Okay. Right, check this out. So let's recap. On day one. On day one. God made the light. God made the light. On day two. On day two. God made the sky and water. God made the sky and light and water. On day three. On day three. God made everything that grows. God made everything that grows. On day four. On day four. God made the sun, moon, and stars. God made the sun and moon on day five. On day five. God made the fish and birds. The fish and birds. Okay, now let's see. What did God make on day six? <laughs> Let me see. On day six. On day six. God made the animals. God made the animals. He made the animals like cows and sheep and goats. He made animals like lions and tigers and bears. He made animals that crawl title. on the ground. This is a title and a teddy. That is a cat. But a teddy. Say amen. 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 Speaking of creations, <clears throat> if you don't, uh, if we were unsure of if one of those child uh, was mine, we know which one is now. <clears throat> that is the uh, rich theologian Brinley Cook. Uh, she's been studying for approximately three years, okay? Uh, and there you go. There's the entire message. That's creation <laughs> summed up for you. And yet, I think creation, jokes aside, can tend to be this like innocent childlike thing. We talk about it in kids ministry, right? And I wonder for us as adults, as people seasoned in faith or curious about faith or somewhere in the middle, I wonder if creation <clears throat> is meant to be more than just a six-day story that we can recite to our kids. And what does understanding God's creation actually do for us in our hearts, in our souls, and in our minds? So maybe not surprisingly, we're going to be in Genesis 1 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Genesis 1. We will be reading the entire chapter. It is a chunk. Um, but I want to start with this. Um, what's commonly referred to as the doctrine of creation. The doctrine of creation. So, you know, smart people who study the Bible come together and they put these labels on things. And I found this one really good. So let me read it to you. The doctrine of creation states that God, 
who alone is uncreated and eternal, has formed and given existence to everything outside himself. He did this from nothing by the word of his power, and all of it was very good. So God alone, uncreated, and created everything outside of himself, and he was able to do this through power, and everything that he creates is good, is good. So let's get into the word. Uh, it'll be up on the screens for you, uh, and I'll try to get through it because it is 31 full verses, but it's important to read, so let's get into it. Genesis 1, starting chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds and according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, and he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. I want to pause for a second, uh, one, because this is a lot of scripture, but two, uh, as we continue to read this, I do want to highlight the uh, like the organizational nature of how creation is being given to us. Each time it says God created something, and then it goes under to say it was created. And what does it say over and over and over? It was so, and it was good. Question for us, I wonder how many of us, even starting this morning, need to learn more of a posture that when God says something, it is so. I found that interesting as I was even reading it this morning, um, and that wasn't in the notes, so I was believing it was from the Holy Spirit, but I was like, hey, how often does God say he did something, but for me, it's not so? And how many people in the world have their own opinions about a million things when the truth of the matter, if God said it, he's going to do it, it is so, and it is good. How he goes about this is important, but let's keep reading. So now we're in verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the giant creatures, or great creatures, sorry, of the sea. And every living thing which uh, the water teems and that moves about it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and seas. <clears throat> and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move on the ground, and the wild animals, each according to this kind. And it was so. Said it, 
and he meant it. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, amen, and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, the reality is the vast majority of us have heard this. We've read it, right? And we get this kind of almost short, simple synopsis of something very big, very extreme. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about it today, but we see God creating things. We see that God made creation but, but at the end of every single section, he says a certain phrase that we already mentioned. He said, and it was good. And then at the end of all of creation, he says something different. He says it was very good. There's an actual like, extra emphasis when she gets to the end of making it all to say that I look at all of it together, all that I've done, and it's very, very good. I added the extra very, but I think you get the point. But look at verse 31 specifically. Um, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was night. I want to kick off with this first foundational truth about God's creation and why I think it's important to us. God made all things, and all that he made is good. We're going to emphasize specifically on that last word, good. Here's why. The truth of probably each of us in this room, and specifically the world that we live in, is a lot of us struggle to put that word in there. A lot of us struggle to really believe all he made is good. Why do we struggle to believe that? Because you've experienced things that seem bad. You've walked through seasons of life that seem difficult, that seem hard. Every single one of us has. So what is hard to do at times is though we've seen bad, we've uh, viewed things as bad, we've experienced things that hurt, we may struggle to all the time say that everything God made is good. Everything God does is good. But I want to challenge us this morning that the reason this is foundational is because if we can't put good in there in every situation, then how do we know anything he made is good? If we can't trust him with the things we've interpreted as bad and we can't know God's good in it anyways, that's actually a foundational belief for our faith that is lacking in us. Let me ask a question. Uh, how many people in the room are, would consider yourself like a creative? So like an artist, a musician, maybe you like to cook, you're a carpenter, you're good with your hands, all these different things. Where, where are my creatives in the room? Cool, cool, cool. So uh, I, I like to consider myself a creative. So some of you are like really good at music and things like that. You actually play like real instruments. No, I don't do that. I do everything on a computer. And I know some of you are like, that's not real music, Phil. Stop it. That's not nice, Okay. <laughs> It's 2023, catch up, you know. 
I'm just kidding. I do wish I could play instruments and stuff like that. But I consider myself some level of a creative, right? So I've made Christian hip-hop music for about like uh, seven to eight years right now. And for me, I really believe in redeeming like hip-hop culture because hip-hop, if you've listened to anything ever really, but especially recently, it's horrible. Content's terrible. It's demeaning to people, leading people in all kinds of different ways. So I've tried to use my creative uh, influence or giftings to actually start redeeming that type of culture, right? And it's interesting about being a creative because here's something that I think any creative uh, would agree with, and it's really a truth about being a creative individual or being the creator of something, is that you know what you're creating and who you're creating it for. So when I make music, I have an audience in mind. I have certain things I want portrayed. I want certain words and messages given out, right? So I've created something, I am the creator of it, and I know its purpose and intention. Now here's the other side of being a creator, or really anybody that tries to do anything for that matter, is that there are going to be people who don't understand what you've created. And that doesn't change that you created it with purpose. That doesn't change that you created it with intention. Someone on the outside doesn't see that you've created it for this. Let me give you one example. The, my most popular song that I put out a couple years back, uh, it's amassed like a couple million streams. It's really amazing. Like, praise God. It's a, it's a, a whole song about being lifted up to Jesus, basically. And I'll, I'll never forget, I almost didn't put the song out because when I was showing it to people, like, I had a lot of people be like, I don't think this is very good. Like, I don't get what you're trying to do here, you know. And I got some negative feedback. And it almost held me back from releasing. And it's crazy. As the creator of it, I knew what it was for. Therefore, I still put it out. And it was blessed to have some success. And while that's like a human example, of course, I want to maybe switch it and apply a principle to God that maybe God has created things. He's the creator of all things. And if we aren't able to put the word good in there, it might be because we're on the outside looking in. It might be because I have my ideas of bad and hard and all of these things. And because I see what you've created, but I'm not convinced that you created it for good, I struggle to put the word good in there. And yet, that type of mindset, which millions, if not billions, do have, it only holds so much weight when the creator knows why he created it. There's a reason why critics are called critics, not creators. So all God made is is good. And that's important that we can put that in there, that in our lives, even when we see things like, like that are hard, natural disasters, right? We see diseases. We, we've all seen cancer. We've all seen people die that we loved. I would imagine literally everyone in the room. And we see like people do heinous, awful things that we just can't explain and it's confusing to us. And yet, I would argue it is foundational for us to still be able to say, all he made is good. All that he made is good. I want to give you uh, hopefully a tangible example of how this is possible. If you fast forward just two chapters in Genesis, so God has created, he, He's doing His thing, right? And now, just shortly after, we're starting to see it fleshed out. We're starting to see uh, things happen in creation. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1 is so interesting to me, um, and I'm going to tell you why, but it's, it says this Now, the serpent, we know who he's, God's talking about, we know where this story goes. The serpent was more crafty. Than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Two, two things I want us to take from this. The first thing is this. This is shortly after God made everything and very clearly said it's all good. 
So the enemy here is doing, first and foremost, this, trying to convince them it's not. So in this world, in your lives, anytime that you are being convinced or influenced or, or having opinions given to you that God is not good because of hard things, that is the enemy talking to you. Okay, but that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is that it calls the serpent crafty. I really think this could be like a revelation for even some of my Bible people in the room. It calls the serpent crafty shortly after God said everything was very good. Therefore, the craftiness given to the snake was actually a good thing. Used for the wrong purposes. Do we hear? It says he was crafty. It's not using that as a negative term. It's actually saying this, this specific animal was made intentionally in a good way and to be used for good purposes. But because we have freedom in this life, because we're given choices, we see it throughout scripture, we would be clones if we weren't given choices. We would all be robots just following a, a dictator God who makes us do everything. It's not the reality at all. We have an interactional, relational God. Therefore, that gives us choices to love him or to love other things. And he calls him crafty, but the serpent used the good gift of craftiness for bad things. So now hear me. When you see in a world of a lot of crafty things, a lot of crafty people, a lot of hard stuff, that doesn't make God's creation not good. It means the good things are be using for bad purposes. There is a massive difference. Because then what can happen when we think about life this way in situations and, and people and turmoil and fill in the blank with whatever it might be, is then I'm actually looking at the, the bad outcome of something and realized it was originally intended for good, but somebody made a choice at some point. Or sin entered the world and things happen. It says he was crafty right after everything was said is very good, but it just wasn't used. The craftiness was actually a good gift used for the wrong purposes. Can I give you a really extreme example? Hitler had a good gift of leadership used for horrible purposes. Do we see the difference? All God made was good, but it was used, unfortunately, by the choice of sinful humans to do bad things. And when we shift, and I could give a million more examples if you really wanted, like, gosh, look at Judas. Judas was given the gift, a good gift of knowing Jesus personally, like, like face to face, used the good gift to sell him to be killed. All God made was good, but the good was used for wrong. Do we see it? But when we see this, I think it's so important. The reason being is then when quote unquote bad things happen, I'm still unwavering that all he made is good. And it changes my entire perspective actually. Like I can see bad things and hard things and whatever things I interpret this way, but actually view it a completely different way. And that's foundational for me. I think it needs to be foundational for us. And I think the truth of this could, I could give probably a million more examples, but it's simple. All God made was good. He's a creator. He knows what everything was made for and for what purposes they were made for. The question isn't that. The question is, do we know it? And the question is, what purposes are we using the good gifts for? I have like other examples popping up, but I'm, I just, I'm already on this point for 10 minutes. So I'm just going to keep it going, y'all. I just got to keep it running. So God's good. All he made is good. I want to pull two points out of Psalm 19. Really popular psalm. Uh, I'm sure we've all know this. We probably got some people that this is like your memory verse and stuff like that. Um, but we'll pull a couple things out of this. It says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Pause, pause, pause. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day. They pour forth speech. Friends, if you've ever said, I don't hear from God, yes, you do. If you've ever said, I don't, I don't hear from him the way maybe I think you do or someone else, yes, you do. Right here. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Listen to me. They have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, and it's, a bride, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion uh, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and it makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived from its warmth. Pause. Let's keep going. You say, like, I don't hear from God. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It's just about what voices you're looking for. But how about this? When you say, I, we say things like, I've never felt God. Yes, you have. Nothing is deprived of his warmth. Nothing is deprived of what he's created. Every single person experiences the creation of God. They've heard, they've heard, and they've felt him. It's just whether or not we're paying attention. It's whether or not we're identifying that that's what's happening. Because, friends, listen, if you walk outside today and the sun hits your face and it feels great, you are experiencing God. When you go to the beach and you get that tan, you know what I'm saying, God bless you with your skin to be a little more bronze than it was the day before, okay? When you go out and you look at a mountain, or a giant tree that has no business being that big. Or you see people around you, we're going to get into that. You've heard from God. You've experienced God. The question is, are you identifying it? So the first point is this. The beauty in this world is a reflection of the beauty of God. The psalm, which you see verbiage like this all over the Bible, like Romans 10. You see it in Romans 1. It makes it clear that God's creation is meant to reflect something. It's meant to reflect its creator. God's creation, the beauty of this world, is meant to reflect the beauty of God. Like we can actually see him through his creation. Look at Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. You want to know what Paul, the writer of Romans, is talking about when he says this? And we correlate it to Genesis and places like Psalm 19. He's saying, hey, if you go your whole life and your excuse for not following Jesus, your excuse for not knowing him is because you claim you don't hear from him. You claim you don't see him. You claim uh, that you haven't seen the eternal power of the divine nature. It says, no, you have seen it and you're without excuse. I have seen it, so I'm without excuse. And that's a truth. It's a foundational truth for us. So here's the, the reality. I think all of us in this room at one point or another have questioned God. We've wondered about God. We've looked at things happening in life and we say, how could this possibly happen? But, but like, friends, you want some really good advice to know God better? Go outside. Like, like go on a walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop watching 18 Netflix shows a week. Uh-huh. Get that screen time down from eight hours a day. Man, some of my kids, I'm telling y'all, like not my personal kids, I'm talking youth group, the groves, things like that. They'll be looking at me and be like, Phil, I just don't see God. Phil, I don't experience God. Phil, I don't feel God. I'm like, your screen time's eight hours and 42 minutes. You have a full-time job on your phone. Go outside, man. Look, I want to show you a video. This is amazing. Um, there's no audio on it, which I, at first service, was like, maybe I should have added audio. And then... The stunning nature of what you're about to look at needed no audio. Um, but yesterday, 
I was hanging out with a bunch of friends for a friend's birthday party, and uh, one of my, two of my friends, Ben and Lauren Walker, some of you may know them, they had just gotten back from Italy. And he was like, hey, man, I bought this, like, $20 drone. Check out what I got. And I asked him if we could show it this morning. Look at this. This is all live footage from Switzerland and Italy in the last week. God's creation is meant to reflect the beauty that he is. And let me tell you something. When we look at things like that, we see how beautiful God is. Can I tell you he's infinitely even more beautiful than that? That is a small piece of a reflection of who our God is, what he's able to do, and the creation that he gifted to us. Family, this morning, when you go outside even today, when you go see that sunset, when you see the mountains, when you see whatever, you see the, all the stuff, all the different things, the blades of grass. Friends, let today be a day that you don't just look at it. You actually see it and realize it's showing you your creator. It's literally picturing him to you. So then when you feel distant from him, you actually realize and start to recognize he is all around you. And it is beautiful. Amen? But I want to transition with this idea of the creation story, and, and here's why. Because I think the creation, this idea of creation, the creation story, can actually at times be a trip up for people. Uh, I asked this question first service, and I'm just going to ask it again. Some people were, were honest, which I appreciated. Uh, has anybody, like, had that science background or evolution or things like that, right, these, these topics that we have, these conversations we've had, and, and frankly have, like, wondered, well, I don't know, how could that be right? Like, how could creation have happened the way that the Bible says that it could? Like, I don't think that it did. And that can be a trip up for some people, right? Here's how I know that. I was that person. So, again, if you know my background, like, I don't have, like, a seminary or theology degree. I have a biochemistry degree. And literally, my primary studies in college were, like, evolutionary studies. Like, anatomical evolution over time and things like that. It was the number one thing. Like, I, I took more classes on that than anything else. And I remember in college having these frustrating moments where I wanted to grow deeper in Jesus. Like, I, I, I believed in God, and the whole Jesus story was amazing, and I was like, who couldn't like this? It's the best news in the history of the world. And yet I had this huge trip up where I was like, but I'm learning these things that in, at the time seemed uh, almost the opposite of what I'm reading in Genesis. And I was meeting with a mentor at the time. It was a pastor who invested a lot in me, and I'll never forget what he said to me, and I'm paraphrasing it slightly, but... Uh, he was like, Phil, I understand, and a lot of people have these issues, a lot of people have these thoughts, but can I just ask you a question? Why are you so much more focused on the order of creation than the object of creation? Why are you so much more focused on how it happened versus why it happened? How it happened versus who it's for? How it happened versus what it reflects? And he's like, Phil, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not understand all the time. 
but you're actually missing a beautiful mountain for a molehill. You are missing beauty of a creator who loves you because of your own understanding. And I'll never forget that because I was like, you know, wow, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out so much and so hard that I'm actually missing on a much, 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 much bigger picture. Friends, listen to me. Can I promise you something? And if I'm wrong about this, when you go into the pearly gates, well, you won't be mad at me because you'll be in heaven, okay? So <laughs> I want to promise you, you will not get up to heaven and God say, I'm so proud of you for figuring it all out. <laughs> Man, you thought so hard and long about that. I'm so happy that you figured everything out. Good job, champ. No, I'm pretty confident he's not going to say that. I would even venture to maybe go the opposite way, knowing that we all will have an encounter with God, and he's simply going to ask the question, how would you live your life? Did you live it for me or did you not live it for me? And I'm pretty sure he, he would actually do the opposite. He's like, do you know how much beauty, do you know the relationship you missed because you were so worried about your opinions? You were so worried about intellectual thoughts. You were so worried about figuring out what was never yours to figure out because I'm a mystery no one can understand. I am God, you are not. And I just hate for you that you miss something so deep and beautiful because you were all up in your own head. I met with, uh, right after first service, a young, a young man who came up and he said, dude, I'm in the classes now. Like, I'm actively in college, and, like, I'm learning evolution. And he's like, and I was sitting in one of my classes, and he's like, I am a Christian, but I do struggle with that. And, and he was like, I was in a class, and I literally had a professor say, like, talking about evolution and creation and the world and saying, like, can, can you really believe that people think God did this? Friends, can I just encourage us, as someone who has struggled with these things and these thoughts and wanting to understand and all this stuff, for us to have the arrogance and audacity people this big in a universe that we can't fathom even a little bit to try to claim that we can decide how things were done is absurdity absolute absurdity and what is even more so it is not only absurd it's heartbreaking because people are missing beautiful mountains for tiny molehills so the order is not nearly, if not important at all, compared to the object, the beauty, beauty of creation, the foundational nature of God being our creator and making all the things that he had. It's not for you to figure out the order, it's for you to find the object of it. So I pray today, as a foundational truth in your faith, that you look at creation and not worry about trying to figure it out, but trying to figure out who made it. Trying to figure out what he wants for your life and what he wants to create in you. The order is far less important than the object of creation. And frankly, friends, uh, I've gotten to the point where uh, in the end, I do not care whether birds or dinosaurs came first. I don't care if the earth is 7,000 years or 10 billion years old. You want to know why? Because I'm going to spend eternity with my Savior. And when I get to eternity with my Savior, I'm probably going to be annoyed with myself that I spent so long trying to figure out the words 10,000 years or 10 billion years because who freaking cares? Amen. It's meant to point you to him, not our own understanding. It's never been about the order. It's always been about the object. But I want to read for my next point out of Genesis 3-2. Um, this is the verse after the serpent is called crafty. And we've already identified that crafty was clearly a good thing because God made all things good, but it was used for the wrong purposes. But look what it says uh, in verse, chapter 3, verse 2. I don't know if I have a slide for it. The woman said then to the serpent, so she's responding, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch or you will die. I think this could be a second, like, revelation for somebody in the room this morning. Uh, God downloaded this to me earlier this week. Uh, my little daughter, Evie, she's learning how to read and stuff, so she has this little kid's Bible, and she's reading through the creation story. And she can't read yet, so it's all out of memory, okay? But she gets to this part of the story in, in her little cute book. It's paraphrasing things. It's short or whatever. But it says specifically... And Eve said, we must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And God was like, hey, Phil, you listening? Phil, you listening? If the tree was in the middle of the garden and it was the only thing they weren't allowed to touch, that means they had to walk past every other good thing to get to the one thing they weren't supposed to have. And I wonder how many of us in our trying to figure this life out or uh, our avoidance of God or our opinions about creation, this, that, and the other, all the different things. I wonder how many of us walk past every good, beautiful thing in life going for the one thing God told us not to touch. Do I even need to get into relationships right now? Here's my next point. Worship the creator, not the created. So interesting to me, that Adam and Eve had everything good and beautiful given to them, which I would argue we do too, whether or not we know it. And yet they found a way to worship what God had created rather than take what he had created to worship him. And I'm not even looking at Adam and Eve and saying, like, shame on you guys, because I'm like, I do this, I think, 30 times a day. You have given me so many good and beautiful things. You've made creation. Friends, this is why I don't like complaining to me is just the biggest waste of time in the whole world. You have all of us, all of us, each one of us, have like 50,000 things we could be thankful for at, uh, what time is it? By 12.15 on this Sunday. And yet we pick out the one thing to complain about that didn't go well. Why? We're walking straight through the garden of good things to find the one thing that we don't think is good. And friends, that's sin. That's our sinful human nature. That we can somehow turn, to, and I do this so often, I can turn a blind eye to the beauty and the good things in this world in almost search of the bad thing. That's pessimism, by the way. Pessimism is a cancer. I'm just going to put that out there. But we're called to worship the creator, not the created, so let's kind of put it home a little bit. <clears throat> I think we tend to do this thing, and it's this really, uh, I'll say, it's a dynamic, a dual dynamic we need to be careful about, okay? Because we are meant to see the beauty of creation. We are meant to see what God has made and be in awe of it. Like, when we're watching those videos of those mountains, like, I hope in the silence of your seat you were like, holy moly. That is amazing. That doesn't just happen. Like, that doesn't just get carved out of nowhere. Like, no river made that happen over 10 billion years. I'm sorry. We have a beautiful creator, but here's what we can do. We can sit on that dynamic a little bit too much where we actually start to worship the created, not the creator. We actually start to look at people around us, and they're beautiful. Yeah, because God made them. <clears throat> I mean, they, they <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> put you in awe of, of things, and, and you see things in the world, and, and you go on vacations, and beauty, and beauty. And if you've ever had a child, oh, my gosh, what beauty is that? What a gift from God. But you know how many people worship their kids? And there's just this, this isn't like condemnation on anybody. This is an encouragement and a challenge. And it should be foundational to us that God gave beautiful things so that we can see him through them. But we were never meant to worship them. We were meant to worship him. And we should be people, Christians, taking inventory about, okay, what has God given me? That I'm walking straight past all the other good stuff to entertain the one thing I'm not supposed to. 
So maybe this morning, what good thing has God given you that you're actually worshiping in an unhealthy way? I could go right back to relationships. Come on, y'all. You were never meant to worship your spouse. They were never meant to be your source of joy. They will fail you every single day. They're a good, beautiful thing that reflects God. Marriage is amazing. Like my dating couple's in the room, if we got any. Like marriage is so beautiful, but pursue it with the intention of worshiping him. Because that's what it was created for. And that, that uh, kind of metaphor could extend so far, but I just want to ask us the question, maybe what areas this morning have you walked right past the good and almost search of the bad? What things has God given you and gifted you and created for you that we've actually turned into the object of our worship rather than it pointing us to him? And if you are able to identify things, praise God, because then you can start to change it. You can start to reroute your worship where it's meant to go and give the creator the credit for his creation as it's meant to be. So there's one last thing then today, uh, and it's the prize of creation. And the prize of creation is you. The prize of creation is me. Genesis 1.27, right out of the same passage, says this. Then God said, this is at the end, so he's made everything very good and he saves us for last. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This concept is called Imago Dei, and it means in the image of God. And friends, what I want to impress on us is this. Knowing we're created in the image of God changes how we treat ourselves and changes how we treat others. And I think this is kind of the tangible takeaway. Like, so much of today has been, hey, let's, let's be just... Gosh, in all of God's creation, like let it be foundational in our life that God created uh, both to give himself glory, but for the benefit of us as well. And creation is beautiful and immaculate and it reflects him. And we have to be careful what we're worshiping, like learn all these things. But these are all pointed towards him. This points towards us. And it should start that way, by the way. It should always start with him. But there is just a truth, friends, that our identity in Jesus, when we understand we're made in the image of God, completely changes everything about you. It breaks my heart that people made in the image of God can look in a mirror and think they're ugly. It breaks my heart that people can hate themselves when the God of the universe thought they were worth making. Can I tell you I think it breaks God's heart too? Why? Because he loves you. He's not sitting up there for people that struggle with insecurity or anxiety or you have bad self-image and you have, maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you don't feel purpose and you go in and out of these seasons. God's not up there like, man, get it together. Don't you know I made you? He's like, oh, it breaks my heart because I made you. How could you ever think that about yourself? When the ultimate creator, that same God that made those mountains, made you and said you're better than those mountains. And do we see how that changes Everything, I'm telling you, when you grasp this, your self-worth and value will just skyrocket, not because you're amazing, but because he's amazing and made you as a product. You are a product of that amazing creative nature. You are a product of the beauty. And on top of this, if we said that God is infinitely more beautiful than these mountains, like those are just a piece of a reflection, but then he made you last and said he made you specifically in his image, that means you reflect the eternal beauty that is God. You sitting in your seat right now, regardless of how you feel about it, reflect that beauty. 
And that changes how we treat ourselves. We love ourselves. Not, not in a high horse type of way, of course not. No, but in a, I know who I am and I know my worth because I know what God says about me. And the only opinion that ever mattered was his. And I'll tell you another thing. <clears throat> what other people will say about you is going to stop affecting you the way that it does. Those things are going to bounce right off because you're so rooted, you're so founded in who he says you are. In the image of God, well, what do I care what you have to say about me when I'm made in the image of God? You didn't create me. You didn't bring, well, your, your mama's the one that brought you into this world, but, and she could take you out of it, but outside of her. <laughs> My mom would appreciate that if she was here. Here's the second thing it does. It changes how you treat other people. Friends, I, I, it's the most confusing conundrum, and I'm not talking about personality differences. I understand that some are extroverted, some are introverted. I understand some have more of a social capacity than others. I'm not saying any of that is wrong or, or right or whatever. What I am saying is when I hear phrases from Christians like, well, I just don't like people, I'm like, you might as well say I don't like God. If people are made in God's image, and I know people can be annoying, they might be sitting next to you. I know people can be frustrating. I know people can hurt you and let you down. And friends, I'm just gonna say it, they're still made in the image of God, period. Because here's the thing, you've hurt people, you've frustrated people, you, you've done horrible things and probably will do more of them. You're still made in the image of God. So then what this does is I actually see past the behavior of people. I know that you are a broken human, a messed up, sinful person, so I'm actually going to see past your actions, and I'm going to like remind myself God made you in his image, therefore I am to treat you like you're made in the image of God. Friends, Christians, we do not have the option to not like people. You don't. There's a reason that Peacemaker Pledge is up on our wall and will probably always be there. Because life's hard, life's messy, people can get ugly, and yet we are called to be at peace with them. Why? Because they're made in the likeness of God. What choice do we have? How, how dare I say that someone's not worth my love when God loves them and made them, and I'm called to reflect who? Him, and he's doing it, so I have no excuse. And it actually just, I think it leads us to compassion. Like, that's why here at Grace, we have things like the Dream Center, that for a decade now, we have just been week in and week out loving even the messiest of people, the hardest of people. It's why we offer so much counseling around here for broken marriages, for addicts, for all kinds of different things. Why? Because you are made in the image of God so that we will love you and fight for you. It is a foundational pillar of who we are, and it has to be. It has to be. So knowing that we're created in the image of God, it changes. Oh, gosh, just the way you view yourself. Please, friends, get in a mirror today and tell, you, tell yourself you love yourself and remind yourself that you're made in the image of God. And for the people that have been frustrating to you, the people that have been hard, the people that you look at them and you're like, it's hard for me to put the good into this. It's hard for me to really believe that all he made is good because you don't know what I'm walking through. Okay, I understand it, but start looking at them a different way. Start seeing them not for their behaviors, but for their creator. And it changes everything for us. So that's my tangible, that's my go today. Leave today realizing that that same God who created all of this, that same God who, who has his hand in everything, has made everything beautiful and all things are good, realize he made you too and live like it. And treat others like it. Grace family, this morning, I skipped so many of my notes just now. I don't even think I looked at them. Realize these things today. What he made is truly good, and we can trust that. What he made is meant to point to himself. Let's worship the creator, not the created. 
And let's realize that when you're made in the image of God, when, you're, when you realize you are his prized creation, it changes how you love yourself, changes how you treat yourself, and it changes how you treat others. He's good all the time, and his creation shows us that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you made all of this first and foremost for yourself, but then gave it to us. Jesus, I do lift up any person in this room this morning that does not know and believe that they are made in the image of God, which inherently makes them beautiful and purposeful and intentional and worth every single second. I pray even in this moment, you would absolutely wreck their hearts that that is the truth for them, period. And Father, I ask for the people in our lives that we've struggled to extend that same grace to, that same love to. Father, you know that life is hard. You know that things happen. You know that people have choices. And yet your truth is the same. All that you've made is good. So would you help us to treat others like they're made in your image? Father, we love you. You are worth every second of every minute of all of our days. We worship you because of that. In Jesus' name. You guys can stand and we're going to worship one more time.